All right, so um, so we're going to talk about following the leader, and and I think I think you guys know this if you've been here any amount of time at all. Our passion at the Life Center is is what to help people find Jesus, right? That's our passion. It's our calling, and to help people find freedom. That's our passion. That's our calling to help people find purpose. That's our passion. That's our calling, and to help people find the ability to plug in and serve and give so that they can live a life of blessing and abundance because that's our calling, right? To do that, to, to be plugged in and committed to God. So we talk about this a lot. We talk about being Christ followers a lot. We say that a lot. And, and what we're going to focus on for the next few weeks is just that. What does it look like to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to, to follow Christ? What did he leave for us as, as steps or a pathway or whatever that is to follow? You know, if we're going to call ourselves Christ followers, it would really kind of indicate that we're following him, right? And if we're not following, actively following Christ, then we need to take maybe some introspective view and see where we are. And I hope that through the process of this, that not only will we get a good picture of what the path is that he's put in, in front of us to follow, but we'll grow, we'll get better, we'll, we'll pursue Christ actions, we'll follow his steps, we'll do what he has charted us, uh, set in motion for us as an example for us to do. So that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. It's going to be fun, it's going to be exciting, and I hope that you have an open heart. How many of you have ever followed somebody, you know, you're about to go somewhere, like, oh, just follow me. And so three or four cars line up, and the one guy that's leading is the worst possible leader ever. Like, he doesn't go through a, re- a, a, a traffic light until it's orange, a, a yellow, and then he goes through. I'm like, what are you supposed to do? You know, do I follow and, and run the red light? And they, they run, the re- they run right there on, the, on, the, on the, the, the razor's edge. You have to make a split decision. You stop, and they don't pull over and wait for you. So you're following this guy who is already at wherever it is you're trying to go, and you're still stuck at the first red light. Have you ever followed somebody? My mom, it, my mom is the best backseat driver ever. She should be like have some award or something. But she's anytime my dad is leading somebody in a car, she's always bah, 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 bah. Tell, you're 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 going too fast. You're not paying attention to the guy behind you. You slow down. So we've all followed people like that, and are very difficult to follow. And and it's it's following is not always. Uh, it, it doesn't always speak of a positive connotation. Sometimes uh, for people that are kind of type A personalities and control freaks, we, we don't particularly like to follow. We prefer to be out front, right? It's like on a two-lane road and you're stuck behind the box truck. You know, and by the time you finally get around the box truck, there's no padding on your steering wheel while you've gnawed it. <laughs> you just chewed it off because it's driving you crazy because you're second. You can't see. You don't know what's coming next, and it just drives you crazy. But then there are some people that are just happy to let everybody lead. I just tell me where to go. I'll show up. Happy to be here. So for the most part, the thing that we, we run into when we talk about following and leading is really it, it comes down to a matter of control and a matter of independence. And, and we're more interested kind of in making our own path and leading our own way. And, and sometimes uh, following sounds a little bit like a weakness or it sounds like, you know, you just don't have motivation and you just don't have it together. So, you know, you're just following. But when we look at this from God's perspective, clearly uh, there is a God and it's not us, right? And so when we're talking about following Christ and, and allowing God to work in our lives. We have to understand what it means to follow because he does know where he's going. He does have a plan for your life. He does have a purpose and there is a clear path for you to follow. 
And we're going to talk about that path. And we're going to, we're going to talk about how that it's really not as, as complicated as we like to make it. How, how many know that we like to make God stuff complicated? Right? Because we can't figure it out, so we just make it really complicated. And then we figure, well, nobody can figure that out, so we're good. <laughs> just leave it sitting there. But that's not really what Jesus' plan was. That's not how it was when he came to earth and he began to have his ministry on the earth and he began to teach and train. He didn't do that. In fact, we're going to read a couple of scriptures. Matthew 4.19, Jesus said this. He said, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. This is how he called his disciples. He said, come, follow me. It wasn't very complicated. He just leave what you're doing and come on. we got places to go and people to see. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. We're going to go find people that don't know Christ. We're going to go find people that don't know salvation. We're going to go find people that are hurting and people that are sick and people that are broken. That's where we're going to go find. We're going to find those people and we're going to help them. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and what? Follow me. Follow me. John 10, 27. Jesus said this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So it, it would indicate that there is a pathway. There is somewhere he's going that he's wanting us to follow. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be ye followers of me. He's teaching people. He's training. He said, Follow me, even as I also am following Christ. So there's this journey, right? We're on a journey. I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers, but God has all the answers. And so as we're on this journey together, I'm following Christ. You're following Christ. Sometimes Christ might get in the distance. and You can't quite figure out your path, but you're surrounded by a community that can help you stay focused and stay on the path. How many know what I'm talking about, right? We're following Christ. Jesus, when he was on the earth and he was teaching, he kind of revolutionized the way people thought about God in his day. The Jewish religion is very, a very formal religion. It has a lot of complicated parts to it. But when Jesus showed up, he just like sat down on a stump and started telling stories. And he just started sharing principles and life truth. And he would tell it in such a way that wasn't complicated. He wasn't trying to make it so, so complex that the only people that could decipher it were the super, super intelligent People, Of course, all of us would have been able to decipher it easily. <laughs> he made it easy to understand. And it, it, kind of, it kind of rubbed the religious people the wrong way because they had spent their whole life studying and preparing and trying to be smarter than the average person. And here comes Jesus sitting on a stump talking about how you can change your life if you connect with God on a different level. And I didn't. he, he says things like, I didn't come... You know, to, to get rid of the law, you got the law, but I came actually to fulfill it. I want to give life to something that was dead letters. I want to give life to, to rules and regu- I want to I want to show you a different way. And so as, as complex as God is, he broke it down in such a simple way that people were able to absorb it. It resonated with people. And the thing about the simplicity of Christ is it's super complicated for us. He makes it simple, but yet we tend to overcomplicate it. You know, it, it's, it's kind of, as a general rule, it's kind of difficult to sometimes accept the core message of the gospel, which is simply this. God loved unconditionally. God paid the price for our transgressions and our sins. And God gives you hope of eternal life and an abundant life while you're alive on this earth. 
It's really not that complicated, is it? It's pretty simple. But yet, because it's so simple, it seems like, you know, maybe it should be a little more complicated. We, kinda, we constantly run through this cycle of feeling like we should, we should probably have to earn something. Maybe I have to earn something from God. Maybe I have to earn his favor or earn his attention or, or do something really, really serious so God will be proud of me. That is, that is, a, that is a, our limited way of understanding and our lack of knowledge, that's how we've painted this picture. But when he says that he's come to save everyone, that's exactly what he means. Everyone. He doesn't tell us that we have to do uh, to be a great person before we can be saved, does he? He simply laid down his life and paid for our transgressions so that in any condition that you're in, you have hope and you can find salvation. And that's the beauty of the message of the gospel. But I'll tell you that the simplicity of the gospel sometimes actually prevents people from accepting it for themselves. I've met people before that say, you know, I've done too many bad things that God can't forgive me for these things. We actually restrict God from allowing his freedom and his, his hope and his presence to change our life because we have a misconception of just how simple and straightforward God's plan is. The reason why I'm telling you this is because when we talk about following Christ, it's not going to be super complicated. It might be hard, but it's not complicated. All right? So let me just kind of give you, I mentioned this a second ago, kind of the, the stage that Jesus was on whenever he started teaching and preaching these, this message of, of salvation and hope. See, the, the, the Jewish law, the, the, the law that they lived by, there were 613 original Jewish laws. But then, because they wanted to make sure that they didn't break any of those 613 laws, they put in place something they called fence laws. And what the fence laws did was they put a buffer between where you live and the law. So, to give you an example that you can probably understand, so there, was, there was a law that said you had to set the Sabbath day aside and keep it holy. You couldn't, you couldn't do the normal functions of life on the Sabbath day. So, these fence laws went something like this. So the basic law is guard the Sabbath, right? That's the basic law. But they started putting in these fence laws, and, and they kept adding and adding and adding to the point where it would go something like this. You couldn't ride your bike on the Sabbath because you might have a flat tire or you might slip a chain, and therefore you'd be tempted to work on your bike to fix it. So that's what the fence laws were. So they just kept adding layers and layers of the law so that pretty soon you were so restricted on what you could do. And their whole goal was to guard the law. And their whole goal was to make sure that nobody messed up. And you can understand why when Jesus came on the scene and began to say things like, come as you are, come as a little child, God will forgive you. It doesn't matter what your history is. When he started talking about the Beatitudes of how the meek will inherit the earth and how if, if, you're, if you're done wrong, instead of, instead of paying him back, give extra. All these different things that Jesus was teaching was kind of blowing people's mind because they were so used to the structure and the, the harshness of the law and being judged constantly by what they could not live up to. So very work-centered. And Jesus made it simple. He just said, like in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. 
Jesus' teachings were, it wasn't that he was saying something so contradictory to the law. He told everyone, I'm not, I'm not trying to change that. I'm trying to help you understand that I'm going to put life in that law. I'm not going to make you follow a list of rules just for the sake of following rules. Instead, I want to talk to you about your heart. I want to get on the inside. It doesn't matter if I've told you not to kill somebody. I want to talk to you about whether or not you're holding hatred towards somebody. That's what I want to talk about. So he, he gave life, a different kind of life, to the law. And when we talk about following Jesus and following the leader, we're going to talk about things like, you know, when Jesus came and he showed us principles of living that would help us to have an abundant life, not live under fear and condemnation. He, he's going to teach us how we're supposed to treat other people because there's a right way to do that. He's going to reveal how we should, should live in order to have a healthy and a happy marriage because that's God's plan as well. He's going to teach us how to explain the right way to raise our kids because that matters to God as well. He's going to talk to us about our jobs, how to love our neighbor, how, how to get along with our mother-in-law. No, that part's probably not in there, but we can add a footnote. <laughs> He's going to, the, the teaching of Jesus following Christ is not, not about am I saved or am I not saved. It's about who is the person that he intends for me to be. Who did he create me to be? What, what kind of abundant life am I meant to live? And so moving along, we're going to start into the first lesson of following the leader. The first thing we're going to talk about in this, this example and this pathway that Jesus left for us, this is where we're going to start. John 15, verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. This is the ultimate love example. And what did Jesus do? After coming and living a life, 33 and a half years, he willingly laid down his life so that you and I could have hope, so that you and I could have redemption, so that you and I could, could find forgiveness for our sins, so that you and I would not have to live in a broken state any longer, but we could live a life filled with abundance from Christ. That's why he paid that price, and it was all driven because the Bible says that God is what? God is love. And because he loved he gave. So there was two things specifically in this mantra, in this, this focus, that are very love-centric. And it's interesting to me that of all the things that Christ gave us as, as teachings and, and guidance and a direction, this is where he starts. He was approached one day by religious people, and they were asking him some questions, and they wanted to get theological and complicated and so they wanted to know the most important commandment which one's the the most important we got 613 of these laws which one is the most important of all of them and i'm sure everybody had an opinion and everybody thought they could snare him and trick him into saying something that was that was erroneous and so jesus simply answered in mark chapter 12 verse 29 the most important one answered jesus is this hero israel the lord our god the lord is one Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That doesn't sound like some huge commandment, does it? Where, why did he start there? He simply said, this is the most important commandment, that you just love God with who you are. Don't just make it head knowledge. Don't just profess Christianity. Don't just follow a practice. Don't just practice a faith, but fall in love with the creator of the universe. Fall in, the one, in love with the one 
that formed you in a very unique fashion. There's not another one like you in the whole world. Thank God in some cases. You're unique, formed in the image of God. And you have to change your perspective that, that he's saying, I want you to fall in love with me and to love me with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, everything that makes up the person we are. That's how we're supposed to love God. That centralizes God to your life. If God is just head knowledge, he's just an intellectual thing you talk about with intellectual people. If all you do is go after the feels, then you're going to be all over the map. You'll have no solid footing because emotions are as fickle as the weather, right? But instead, he talks about loving God with all of those components. You can't just love God with your strength because then it just becomes a bunch of works that you do to try to convince God that you're a good guy. But if you put all those pieces together, you change the dynamic and you become this individual that is consumed with his creator or her creator, consumed with their maker, so that whatever God is trying to teach us and help us to understand and learn, we are pursuing that with every part of who we are. It centralizes God into our life. It doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to be perfect, but it does mean that everything in your life will have purpose and meaning, and there's very, those are very different things. Loving God and following Christ does not mean that everything in your life is going to, from that moment on, work out exactly to perfection. Instead, what it means is through trouble, through tribulation, through hard times, through difficulties, there is a, uh, there is a solid element of peace and contentment that you have in your life, that you know that God is working something out in your life to fall in love with God. Matthew chapter 6.33 says, But seek first... His kingdom and His righteousness. His things, His plan, His law. And all these things, talking about the natural things of life, will be given to you as well. This reveals the results of a Christ-centered life. When we're not focused on all the things, a peripheral things that matter to us, but instead we're focused on our walk with God, our relationship with God, all of those other things start to line up and fall into place. Again, I don't want to sell you something that, you, that is a bill of goods. It doesn't mean your life will be perfect. It means your life will have fulfillment and purpose. All of a sudden, some things change. Priorities change. Things in our life shift. Things that used to matter to us so much that we were driven by. Sometimes those things change. And now we're looking at things through a different perspective and a different light. God takes care of things for us. The second thing is love for others. And this one, this is a tough nut to crack, folks. In the same context, one verse down, Mark 12, verse 31 The second most important commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I mean, these guys are used to 613 laws, and he just said two that are the most important. Not only does Jesus say, I need you to love people, but he tells you how to love people. He's addressing a religious leader, and in those days... The religious leaders, it, it, it wasn't not just anybody could be one. There was lineage involved in it. There was heritage involved in it. There was birthright involved in it. There was schooling that was involved in it. So these guys were not just pastors of synagogues. They were not just church people. These people were, were a governmental structure for the Jewish people. So these people, these religious people had clout. These religious people were used to people uh, being subservient to them. They were used to being right. 
all the time. They were used to being the guys that executed judgment. These were the guys that people came to to ask direction. These are the people, these are the guys that people came to and said, I don't know what to do in this situation. What, did, what does God want me to do? This is what God wants you to do. I speak for him. These were the kind of people that he was dealing with. And then he brings this out and he says, I want you to love people, not just love people, but I want you to love your neighbor. How? As yourself. Dude, I bet it went deathly quiet. Because you don't go from a pompous place of attention and honor and everybody looking at you like you're all that in a bag of potato chips to all of a sudden realizing that this Messiah just told you that you got to love people, but you got to love people like you love you. And I know, I know there are people that, that struggle maybe with self-esteem and they, don't, they may not have a lot of confidence, but there's, there's really not many people that don't love themselves Right? We all struggle with loving ourselves maybe a little too much sometimes. We want everything to go our way. Right? I don't want to inconvenience myself too much because I'm loving myself and I don't feel like messing with you right now. It's kind of how we're wired. We're kind of, the status quo is look out for number one. The status quo is, you know, our society has kind of cheapened love in a sense. It's, it's a, a lot of talk and it's a lot of empty promises and there's a lot of physical attraction attached to it. A lot of, a lot of this, I'm just going to follow my heart, <laughs> lead you off into chaos. <laughs> because the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. <laughs> Anybody? Well, don't raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about. We have this kind of idea that, that love is this blissful place of happiness and everything is perfect. And, and there's a lot of actions versus words. You know, the saying that words are cheap. You can say I love you a lot and not mean any of it. And where it really comes to, comes to bear is when your actions solidify the words you just said. So when Jesus said, I need you to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, body, everything. Then the second most important commandment is I want you to love your neighbor. Got it. I love everybody. As yourself. Oh, don't got it. <laughs> That's a little more. Con- he made it very clear. He didn't give you a list of how you're supposed to love, did he? He said, pretty much, if you would do it for you, then do it for somebody else. If you want to sleep in a nice, comfortable bed, then consider that when someone comes to you with a need. Right? If you like eating, somebody else that doesn't have food probably likes eating too. So when we're talking about loving as we love ourselves, it changes the dynamic. It takes it from a list of things we can check off and ease a conscience to becoming, how would I do this? God, what do I, am I self-centered? Am I selfish? Am I loving my neighbor like I love me? Love is demonstrated with action, the way we care for others, the way we are concerned about others, not words that we just simply say. First John 4.20, <clears throat> this one's a tough one. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. You can look at the Bible. It's there. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Oh. Oh. <laughs> you know those people that say they're Christians and they've got the bumper sticker and the shirt and they just are hateful to people? I recommend reading 1 John 4.20. 
It's, it's Jesus teaching. That's not complicated, is it? It's very straightforward. It's kind of in your face, but it's true. How can I profess a love for God who I've never seen and I can't sit on the same row as someone that I see? I don't want to be in the same room with someone that I, I hate that guy. I hate that woman. What kind of mixed signal? There's a scripture in James. I love the book of James. It's very practical. It says you can't draw drinking water and salty water out of the same well. It either is good for drinking or it's not. That's what this means. If you're going to profess to be a Christ follower and you're not following Christ, then you can do the math. How are we following Christ? Well, we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. And we love our neighbor as ourselves. These are the first two most important commandments. Why is that? Because everything is built on that cornerstone. Everything is built on that cornerstone. The greatest example of love was when God robed himself in flesh. In John 3.16 it said, For God so loved the world that he gave. He robed himself in flesh, came to earth, so that he could pay a price so that you and I could be free. There's no greater example than that. So when we talk about following the leader, when we talk about following the example that Christ is for us, when we talk about being a Christ follower, it's so much more than just attending a church or going to a small group or just doing all the good actions that you're supposed to do. It needs to become who we are, how we're wired, how we function, to love God with everything and to love people like we love ourselves. I told you in the beginning, I I laid a little bit of a foundation. I said the simplicity of the gospel is sometimes the hardest thing for us to grasp because we, we talk about and we believe, and I know this to be a fact, that God's love is unconditional. That means there's no person on this earth that is so wicked and evil that God's love will not reach for them. There's no qualifying statement when it comes to what can separate us from the love of God. Can death, can hell, there's a scripture in the Bible that talks about this. It lists a list of things. What what can possibly separate us from the love of God? There's nothing, nothing can take us from his heart. But there is something that will prevent us from receiving that love. And that is when the simplicity of the gospel is just too hard for us to do. Let me tell you something. I don't think there's anybody in this room that can in completely good conscience (laughs) say that I absolutely love my neighbor as myself. (laughs) Not perfectly. There are a lot of people in this room that are very giving people, loving people. But when you lay it down on the table, we take care of ourselves. And we're supposed to. It's like asking us the same question. Do I really love God with everything that I am? 
I want to say yes, but I have my limitations, right? I have my, uh, I don't know if I want to go this far. I have my, you know, my struggles. But when we're talking about this and following Christ, what this tells me is I'm not there yet. But he doesn't, he doesn't tell us about the destination, does he? He just tells us to come follow me and I'll do something great in your life. Come follow me and I'll teach you things that will change and revolutionize who you are as a person. Just come follow me. Come to me all you that are weary, burdened, struggling, hopeless, heavy. Come to me. I want to walk with you through that mess. Come to me, those that you of you that are filled with hatred and anger and bitterness, resentment and hurt. I'm not going to instantly fix you. I'm going to walk with you. You're going to follow me, and I'm going to show you how to be healed from the inside out. Listen, there's no list of rules and regulations that can fix the heart. What fixes the heart is when the heart is left open before God, and God says, come on, let me walk down this journey with you. It's not about the destination, folks. It's about the journey. It's about following Christ. It's about becoming a Christ follower. It's about following the leader. It's about following the leader.